Welcome to the Unlocked Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Bramble and Rex. Alrighty, welcome back to episode 10 of Unblocking Crypto. How this is going to be an interesting one because we're going to talk a little bit about technical analysis. Uh, and this is definitely something where it's just our opinions and do not trade oh, with any advice <laughs> that we mention here. No doubt. <laughs> but before we get started there, uh, let's talk about some of the interesting news in the crypto space these days. I'll let you start. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, for me, I like, uh, again, it's El Salvador. Um, they were to release their bond <clears throat> to the public. Uh, they're doing a billion dollar bond. They're going to back half of it with Bitcoin. They're going to use the rest to build mining um, equipment using geothermal energy um, and use that to kind of fund kind of like a tax basis, essentially. Um, so I think it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, it's a creative way to use Bitcoin as a small country to kind of pry yourself out of the IMF uh, grip. And so everybody's looking forward to it. All the Bitcoiners are like, oh, man, this is going to be neat. Let's... It was going to be a real signal to other countries um, as to if Bitcoin can be useful at, to like a, a, a sovereign country. And they're going to release it March 15th through the 20th. And then they on the 20th or 21st, they said, uh, we're, we're going to delay this, this Russian Ukraine stuff. The, the global market's just not ready for it. I don't know if that's a spin. I don't know if they just had trouble kind of putting it together. It, they, they're doing something for the first time ever. And I think that's going to be very difficult. And they're doing it at a billion dollar scale, which is pretty big. Um, and yeah, they're doing it in like a super weird time and like the global economy. But um, the, uh, verbally or whatever, I, my understanding was they had like over a billion dollars worth of interest. Uh, that people were like, okay, yeah, we're, we're willing to, to put money into this. One of the things that it has going for it is there's a lot of fixed income uh, accounts like pensions and like long-term fixed income that can only buy bonds. And this would allow them to get some Bitcoin exposure. So if you think about Bitcoin's a global thing and you're talking about buying international bonds, like there's a segment of uh, your, your developed countries that can invest in this. So, this would be the really the first time they could get Bitcoin exposure. And so that's where I figure there's a lot of money that is losing. I mean, interest rates are going up, bonds are going down. So they got to put money somewhere. They might as well take a flyer if they put a, a half a percent or a tenth of a percent into this bond to see if it works. Great. Everything else is definitely going down. Um, and so so for them to delay that, I, I'm, I'm not sure what I think about that. Um, Hopefully, they're just going to try and do it right. They said that they'll, they'll, they'll do it by the end of the year, um, but they just, they're looking at like global market conditions. So that's, that's one piece to look at. And then there's whispers of like Honduras uh, following El Salvador. And I don't know. I haven't seen an article, like a proper article about it. Um, but I know that their, I guess it's president, made it vocal that like El Salvador can't be the only country to, to gain because of Bitcoin, um, which is like exactly the game theory that Bitcoiners have been talking about since like 2010. But it's like it's it's kind of sort of here. So uh, the Latin America stuff is interesting. Uh, like it's um, it's worth keeping an eye on. It's kind of fun stuff. But uh, but that's that's my news for now. Interesting. So I think we had joked uh, earlier this year on my over under for countries that would adopt Bitcoin as a legal tender. So yeah. Honduras does it. Uh, Malaysia is actually talking about doing it now too. Um, so they're tossing around the idea. Um, so that could be two and we're only in the first quarter of the year. So my over it, looks a lot the, better. Was, it, was the over three, under three and a half? Three and a half. Yeah. So, and a half. I think I took the under. <laughs> yeah. So I was, yeah. I, I was optimistic and took the over, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. And it's well, looking it's a lot March. better now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other thing that uh, just to mention on the El Salvador bonds, one of the interesting pieces of news that happened, and I don't know a ton about it, but Goldman Sachs had their first over-the-counter Bitcoin trade on exactly kind of that point, how they could get income out of Bitcoin. Um, so they, they worked with Gal Galaxy Digital, um, who's been enabling people to do that. So it is 
still in its infancy of this happening anywhere in the world for the most part, but that's exciting to see that uh, there are some very large financial players that are, are taking this a lot more seriously too. Yeah. That uh, Goldman Sachs thing to let you take a breath. I, I like that. It's like Goldman Sachs using galaxy because galaxy is building the infrastructure so that the, the other Goldman Sachs out there can plug in quick, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody has to try it first, but once they try it first, there's maybe it's buggy and clumsy or whatever. Great. Well now Merrill Lynch, like all these old lame, slow conservative uh, uh, houses. They're like, Oh, the, 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 the trail's already blazed, right? Goldman Sachs did it right. Even if they're, even if it's just trial stuff, even if it's little stuff, when, when you get into Bitcoin and you start thinking long term and you're like, yeah, this is a 10 year play for me. Like, you're like, great. Goldman Sachs did one transaction. Like that's, that's the difference between zero and one is humongous. The difference between one and two is nothing. So that getting one is a big deal, man. And I think, I think there's a lot of people that get into crypto and Bitcoin, like in a month, I'm going to quadruple my money. And then you stay in it long enough. You're like, in 10 years, I'm going to be all right. <laughs> it's like, it, it's really weird how that works. But like, that's why I get excited about the stuff. Like Goldman Sachs made one transaction. Like, awesome. That's huge news. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to, we, we talk about um, Michael Saylor a lot on, on this, but uh, the CEO of Galaxy Digital is also super bullish on Bitcoin. I think he's made... Um, predictions that if, if Bitcoin isn't at over 500K um, by the end of this decade type thing, and he's made a huge mistake in, in his company, right? So he, he is very bullish on where Bitcoin is going and crypto is going as well. Is that Novogratz? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did a he did a, a interview, like a 10-minute spot on a legit channel, CNBC or something. And he's he sounds really good. Like he sounds like, he speaks the language of like the old school investment houses, but his entire team is just young engineers and coders and, and uh, computer scientists. And so that's kind of what you need for mass adoption is like, oh, this guy sounds like my buddy who who's trying to get me into two year treasuries. He sounds just like the guy that I've been buying equities from for 10 years. But man, he's got a crew. He's got a, a, a whole uh, organization that can get me into Bitcoin. And it's and it feels like the same thing I've been doing for the last twenty years. I, I think that's a big deal for the kind of adoption that that moves a, that moves the meter from a money standpoint. And that's why if you're if you're Honduras, you're like, man, we need to get in quick before all the Merrill Lynches and and Goldman Sachs and and the gal, you know, all these big money guys get in because you get in now and you ride it up like you're you're the winner, right? You, you, for the first time ever, Honduras can win because uh, Wall Street's making money. Yeah, I think that's his background, too. I think he came from Goldman Sachs and worked there for a decade or so previously. He sounds like a Goldman Sachs guy. So, and if it's not them, it's something very similar, right? Yeah, um, they're all the same. Yeah, other interesting news. I know we've talked about GameStop before, but they just made an announcement that they're planning on coming out with an NFT marketplace in Q2 of this year, which is really interesting to see how that goes. I guess uh, got to get more involved in crypto somehow. Um, and then the last thing to mention is if you haven't heard about it yet, I think you're going to hear a ton in the next three months. Um, Ethereum is about to become deflationary in June. Uh, it's kind of this whole concept of the triple happening um, compared to Bitcoin, where they're reducing the amount of creation of tokens by like 90%. The cost of uh, the network uh, trans cost reduction in the network is going to be reduced by like 99.9% since they're going to proof of stake instead of proof of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're going to increase their staking yields like 50 to hundred um, percent. So it, it should be really interesting. I mean, just as an example, in the past seven months with their token burn, they have burnt more than $6 billion, $6 billion in Ethereum. Um, and that's just based on today's prices. And it's also intriguing that, um, Cardano is actually looking at doing a token burn thing in the future as well. So it is going to be, I mean, there's a handful of guys that do it already, but um, it's becoming more commonplace for a lot of these people to seriously consider moving forward. So kind of exciting. 
And so uh, for people that aren't familiar with this, uh, token burn, basically my understanding is they, there's a, there are wallets that do not have private keys. They only have public keys. So if you send, if Ethereum developers send Ethereum tokens to the wallets that only have public addresses, it's burnt. You can't, it's, it's like, it's as if you lost, you know, you hear all these stories about somebody lost their private keys. They can't get to their Bitcoin. They had a thousand Bitcoin in 2011 and now it's, you know, they can't get to it because they lost a private key. They basically make wallets that don't have private keys so that those tokens are essentially locked up forever. Um, that's my understanding of how that works. And that's how my understanding how Ethereum burn works. That may be different for other tokens. Yeah, but I mean, I guess it's, they're just taking a percentage of the, the gas for each transaction and turning and sending that to those keys that so it disappears off the, yeah. the blockchain, right? But Right. So yeah, yeah, if you're talking about, man, how do you, how do you erase tokens? That's kind of the, that's kind of how you do it. It kind of goes into a lockbox that's then encased in cement and then dropped into the ocean. Like it's, it's not retrievable. Yeah. So for those people that are interested, I mean, right now is a good time to look at Ethereum uh, just Google search Ethereum triple happening. And there's tons of people doing a lot of research and a lot more detail on this. Yeah. Um, and a funny, funny story about how I learned that. Like I live in a small town of like 30,000 people. And uh, so, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody. And so it's like, Oh, so-and-so is into crypto and so-and-so is into Bitcoin. And so uh, I got together with this guy who I didn't really know very well uh, named Braden. And he, he was like, he was, he's into Ethereum and I'm really not. And he explained it to me and I'm like, Oh, well that makes sense. It's like pretty wild to learn something new face to face with somebody uh, in crypto. Like I've always, it's always been via internet, uh, podcasts, Twitter and stuff to learn something new from somebody in my small town of 30,000 people is like, that's, it might be a top signal for the market, but, uh, but it's, it's just interesting, man. There's a lot of people into it and they know stuff that I don't know. And that's pretty awesome because, uh, you know, you, you just don't know what you don't know. Well, there's so much to, to to learn and understand that it's impossible to know it all yeah. unless you're spending 24-7 doing this. Yeah, I don't ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into the 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 main topic for today, and that's technical analysis. And and like I said earlier, by no means are we experts at this. This is just something that it's good to know about. And uh, we'll kind of explain a little bit about what technical analysis is and then what we do and because i think you and i do a little bit different when we look at it from a technical analysis perspective Definitely. and then we'll point you to some places to look at in the future but i, I think for the most part a lot of it's going to be uh you guys will probably have a better idea where to find this stuff than, than we do um so, so to start with let's let's define technical analysis and, and how I'll, I'll let you try to start with what is your definition of what technical analysis is yeah so i view it as you're using public data like price charts, uh, volume, or calculations using those price chart prices and volumes to derive um, other charts. And then you look at which way those go and what they've done in the past and how prices responded. Um, so it's like if if we can we will get into some more detail and we can talk about it. But that's that's how I view it. It's basically taking the, taking the charts and the data in the past seeing what happened then and then applying it going forward to basically give yourself a signal of it's a good time to buy or a bad time to buy. And it's like the really good TA signals are like, oh, 60% uh, of the time when this happens, the price goes up and 40% goes down. So A, it's, this is a financial advice. B, I don't use, I, I don't even trade anything, right? I, I buy stuff. I if you look at the number of times I've bought Bitcoin and the number of times that I've sold Bitcoin in order to get into random cryptos on exchanges in China, it, I mean, like I have my, my transactions are like 99.9% .9 buy. Like I buy a lot and I don't sell it. So I do use technical analysis when I'm not like smashing a buy because I'm like, Oh man, uh, this is great news, but I need to get more. I, I'm too short. I, I don't have enough Bitcoin. I need more Bitcoin. Buy. I don't care what the price is. And then sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take my time and I'm going to like, I'll set a market limit buy at this price because I look at the charts and the on-chain stuff sounds good. And the news is kind of good or, or the news is really bad. And I'm like, Oh, it might be a good time to get some stuff on sale. 
So I use, I'm, I'm not a trader, so I don't use technical analysis much, but when I do actually follow a plan to buy, uh, I do look at, at, at a few kind of high level technical stuff. So my, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blow anybody's minds today with my technical analysis, um, information, but I think it is important for people to know that there are people out there that are constantly trading on technical analysis and getting in and out, in and out, in and out that are day trading or swing trading on, on multiple days or maybe a week or two. And if you think, if you're new to this and you're, you think, Oh man, if I would have gotten into this two years ago, I would have bought it 6,000 and I would have sold it at 60 and then I would have bought more at 32 and then I would have sold that at 65 and then I would bought back in at 31. It's like, you wouldn't have done it. Like it's not, it's not possible. I don't think it's possible. It, it may not be impossible. Like somebody, like it's like a lottery ticket. Maybe somebody can do it on accident or whatever, but like it's, it's psychologically, I don't think you can push the button and actually sell when things are, when things are rampant, like, like they were like, Oh, this thing's never going to stop. We're going to 150,000. And then it's like, boom, 60,000. And then it drops. And then a few months later, you're like, Holy crap, we're, we're at 30. Like, wish I would have sold, but now why would I? So I'm in, it's, it's, it's a pretty wild ride and, and I don't sell and I, I still feel like pressure to sell. Yeah. I think one of the things, I mean, just to add to that, um, since this is all probability and statistics, right? Um, none of this is a hundred percent one way or the other. Uh, the way that I've always heard it, that I've heard it best is 80% of your assets, you should probably just buy and hold. And the 20%, if you want to do some sort of day trading or week trading or month trading, whatever it is, whenever these signals hit, try that, but don't do the majority at all. And I'd be amazed if you bought it five and sold at 60 and then bought back in at 32, just emotion plays so much into all this that unless you can completely get rid of emotion, which um, I, I used to think I was good at, but holy cow, I, I suck at <laughs> in this market so um it, it's good it's very hard to time the market in general and most of these i think you're going to try to want the goal is to find a lot of signals that match up so when there's three or four signals that are all saying buy maybe that's a good time to buy uh if there's three or four signals that are all saying saying sell might be a good time to sell too so um, yeah. so, so so let's i guess go further and say just to kind of explain some of the things that we do and what are the, the main things that you use when you look at this? And I know you don't do a ton of it, but it is still interesting just to see what the market is doing. Cause like you, like we talked about in the past is I'm always looking to buy and I want to know if the market is in a overbought or oversold type situation. Yeah, that's, that's a good point too. Like it's like real estate. If you buy a house wrong, if you pay too much for a house, it's very difficult to, turn that into a good investment, right? So buying, in my opinion, based on my experience and what I like to do, which is, which is really buy stuff. Uh, like uh, some people would maybe not consider that investing, but I like buying stuff. Um, and then I sit on it for a long time. And, but I buy things I want and I don't feel bad about holding them. And so even if the price goes down, like if the price goes up, great, maybe I'm right. And, uh, you know, I think Bitcoin's going to go, much higher than it has ever been. So if the price goes up, I'm like, okay, great. I have less risk in this trade. More people are thinking like me. More people are willing to pay $60,000 for a Bitcoin. All right. I'm feeling, I, so it's de-risking as the price goes up. So I feel better about buying as the price goes up. And if the price comes down, I feel better about it because I think it's on sale. And, you know, so having a lot of conviction in your trade is important because it helps you ride these ups and downs. And it helps, you know, it helps you kind of get through the, the, the muck. Um, and that's another reason why it's important to pay attention to on-chain to see what those guys think is happening that we talked about in the last podcast. It's important to pay attention to the news and kind of just have your finger on the pulse of like, oh, uh, there's a lot of bad news, like legit Bitcoin bad news, or there's a lot of good news, but the price isn't going up. So if the on-chain looks good, there's a lot of good news, the price isn't going up, and then you get into some technical analysis and the technical analysis looks good. Pretty good time to buy. Um, so a couple of things that I look at and I look at really broad stuff. I don't look at daily stuff. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say maybe one thing to talk about is too, 
charting, right? I mean, most of this stuff is going to be done on a chart. Uh, and and for me, candlesticks are the only way that I can really read charts and that makes sense to me. There are other options out there, but that's probably the easiest thing. And the most information out there is on candlesticks. Would you agree? And it's easy to understand candlesticks. Yeah. And if you if you look at a line, it doesn't, it's for, for a, an asset that like, barely has any volatility over a day like if you look well i don't know if there's anything right now that doesn't have a lot of volatility like wheat has crazy days but if you if you look at something like coca-cola stock in in 2017 before things got weird you could look at a line chart or a candlestick chart it doesn't really matter because it's it is barely moving any given day but with bitcoin like you could you could open open trading which i think is like 6 p.m. Eastern or 8 p.m. Eastern. There's like, because the market's never closed, they just picked a time and it's it's either six or eight. Anyway, you can see when it opens, you can see what the price is when it closes and you can see how low it dipped and how high it went if you look at the candles. And if you look at a line, it just gives you the closing price every day. So for me, I like candles because Bitcoin, you can have weird things where you go up two grand in a day, but then it drops down 1,800 so on a line chart, it looks like it, it didn't move, but really something happened and you went up, you know, 8% that day and then dropped back down. Um, I don't know if that, if, if that's kind of your read on candles and how you, how you view it. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think the candle tells so much of the story and with Bitcoin and crypto in general, there's usually so much going on that without seeing the full picture, it's hard to really understand what really happened that day or that that hour or whatever time frame you're looking at. Yeah. And I, I like looking at the daily candles because it, like it shows me, okay, uh, we had four bad days in a row and then we had one good day that fully enveloped the, you know, the previous four bad days. So, you know, in my mind, it's like, you're slowly talking people, you're slowly talking sellers into selling and then you're quickly talking buyers into buying <laughs> and like, you know, that kind of gives me a little idea of what's going on. But uh, it also, who knows, right? It, like this stuff, I, like right now, uh, we'll talk about this will kind of flow in uh, to the to my golden cross death cross conversation. But like right now, there's a lot of signals that tell me things are it's a good time to buy. We're in the low 40s. Um, the on chain stuff looks good. The technical analysis looks pretty good. The news is pretty good. I, it makes me feel like we're going to drop. <laughs> like anytime I'm like, yeah, we're definitely good. I'm like, yep, we're due for like a 20% correction. I, I mean, it's, it, it, so it's very deceptive. Um, so you just need to be, you need to be careful. But one of the things that I, I kind of pay attention to is the golden cross de death cross uh, where again, where you, you know, technical analysis is about taking data, manipulating it, and, and trying to pull a signal out of it. And so what we do here is we have two moving averages, uh, a 50 day and a 200 day. And so if you go back 50 days and you draw a line for the, for the moving average of the previous 50 days, uh, that's basically showing you what the price is doing on a kind of a short term momentum. And then you compare it to a 200 day average. Um, so that if, if you had a huge ramp up, but it was a hundred days ago, you're going to feel some of those low prices from a hundred, 101 days and beyond. So you're, you, you know, it's a slower moving average. It's not, you know, prices moving faster than the 50 day, than the 200 day. And so what happens when the 50 day crosses the 200 day is either a golden cross or a death cross. So the golden cross, which sounds good, is because you're taking your your short-term 50-day moving average and you go, you're below the 200-day and then you cross it to the top side. So when you cross over that, what it's saying is, hey, the more recent price is higher than the longer-term price. So it feels like, hey, this price is moving up, there's upward pressure and it's happening in a short-term and so once you hit that golden cross, it's, it's to me, it's one of the biggest signals because you can't, so Bitcoin, I'm always worried about Bitcoin going on a run, right? 
in late 2020, you could have bought Bitcoin for $10,000. In early 2021, you can never buy it again for $25,000. Like once you miss a run like that, and it happens so often, every so often with Bitcoin, you miss a run like that and you don't get a, there is no, oh man, if it goes back to 20,000, I'll buy it again. Or, you know, if it goes back to 2,500, right, I'll buy it again. Well, yeah, man, but you look good if you bought it five grand right now, you know, it's like, so you have to be careful not to miss these runs. Well, if the 50 day crosses the 200 day, you can't go on a big run without that happening. Uh, and so that's to me like a signal like, hey, we're, we have the opportunity to go on a, one of these, one of these uh, bullish um, hyperbolic runs. I don't want to miss those. And so what you'll, so what we've had, you know, we had that big hump um, early in 2021. We had the dip into the summer. Then we had another uh, incline up to the high sixties in the fall. And then we dropped back into the winter and we've kind of been chilling in this 30,000 early low forties ever since. So we ramp up, we hit a golden cross. Then uh, when everything dies down, the 200 day is, is slowly coming down, but the 50 day drops when China bans mining and we hit the summer dip, the 50 uh, day moving average crosses the 200. That's called a death cross because your more recent pricing is dropping faster than your previous 200 day moving average price. And so once you see that, you can't go on like Bitcoin's famous 80% drops and 75 and, you know, these huge, massive drops that, you know, everybody talks about the drops and man, we got to protect investors from losing 80%. But like, Oh, by the way, there's also 500% incline, you know, increases. Um, but you can't go on those massive drops without the 50 day crossing the 200. And so, so it's kind of a signal that, Hey, we could be in a situation where we're, you know, the 50 stays under the 200 for a while and price just keeps being, being pushed down. Um, and then, so what I started looking at was like the inflection points of when that 50 day bottoms out and starts to move back up. Um, you know, that like that average, that 50 day moving average on the first drop uh, in the summer of last year, I'd call it the, the China mining ban dip. Uh, was like 35,000. And then we've hit the inflection point of this 50-day moving average because we spent so much time in the 30s, even though we're just in the 40s, we're, we're moving that, that average is starting to swing back up as we keep, as we keep adding days in the $40,000 range. So we've, we've kind of hit where that is like a concave curve uh, that's bottomed out, and that's about 40,000. So for me, in my head, I'm like, if I'm buying between thirty-five and forty thousand, I'm buying at a uh, a good low average in this range that we're in. So, in my head, there's no real difference between forty-two thousand and thirty-nine thousand, right? Like, what what do I care, right? If I, so, yeah, I don't. It's not like oh man, as soon as it hits uh, forty thousand two hundred and fourteen dollars and thirty-seven cents, I'm buying. Like, I don't I don't do that. You know, I'll just set some buys and add some prices. And if they hit, they hit. And if they don't, they don't. Um, so if that doesn't make sense verbally to you, you can just Google Golden Cross. These, all these technical analysis, these have been done for decades in stock market stuff. These aren't Bitcoin technical analysis. These are just universal price changes and stuff. So the same terminology that you use to do these technical analysis in stocks are used for Bitcoin and crypto assets and, and really anything. Um, so I think that's my biggest high level piece that I look at. Um, you want to take one and, and we can bounce back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say just to add to that, I mean, it, even the, the death cross and the, and the golden cross doesn't mean that something's going to happen big, right? I mean, there's fake outs and even if it crosses one or the other, it could pop up and then come way back down and then go up again. Right. So it doesn't mean like, Oh, the day that happens, everything's uh, peaches and roses. Uh, oh, correct. <laughs> um, That's but yeah, yes, but but definitely very good um, things to look at. Um, one of, I guess, the things that I look at, and there's a couple of them, but I guess the first one is probably just the moving averages, um, and that's you mentioned two of them, the 50 day and 200 day. Um, I there's a 
thing called an EMA ribbon, which is I think 10 different variations of moving averages. And it's kind of doing the same thing. So when you have um, all these moving averages, you can see how spread, spread out they are. And as they all start to come together and cross kind of the same thing, the 50 day crosses the 200 or, or something less, then all of a sudden it's, it, it's kind of a buy signal that's saying, all right, the, the trend is, is changing. Um, so it, very similar to the, the death cross. I just, um, for some reason, I like to see more <laughs> and I need to get away from, from seeing more because I think less is better in all of this and simpler is better, but uh, seeing 10 moving averages instead of just two makes me feel better. And I don't know. So whether it works or not, it's still oh, yeah. less, determined, but <laughs> less is more, man. I like, I just had this thought of, man, if you had a, a, an exchange or you had a, like a, a Bitcoin um, us dollar to Bitcoin app that only had a buy button, like I think a lot of people would use it. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. So, if you feel like you need to buy something, just hit the button. Yeah, just keep it simple, man. Don't even worry about the price. Just hit the button. Yeah. Uh, so the next one for me, and it's it's um, it's it's a it's called uh, Bollinger Bands. Um, so this kind of gives you an idea of the volatility over time. So it's a I use a twenty day moving average. And so that that gives me my line through through the candlesticks that we talked about of the, the average price of the last 20 days. And then it gives me a, uh, a line, one standard deviation above and below the line. And so there's two things, two things that I like to look at. If those if the upper and lower lines start to creep together and get tight. As they get more narrow, that means volatility is decreasing, right, because the standard deviation is getting smaller. You're not seeing these wide swings on, on a daily basis. So the thing about when volatility starts to squeeze, it means you're, you're kind of coming up to a big move up or down. Don't know which way it is. Uh, but if you're me, you're pretty sure it's always up. <laughs> it's, it's not, but I'm like, okay, great. We're getting close to a move and I'll take, you know, if it goes up, great. And if it goes down, I'll buy more. So it's fine. Um, so the, the Bollinger Bands show you that. Uh, it's a measure of, of volatility. And then on the flip side, if you're in a situation where the price is running, it's the price is going to run along the, the top standard deviation line and it keeps pushing that line up. And so um, you can kind of see if you're in a phase of a run or if you're just chopping up and down Um but it's it's kind of useful when when I'm looking at a buy. If I'm like buying, I'm like, man, I want to buy this week. I want to put some money in. If it's way above the line, way above the 20 day moving average, and it, on the top of the standard deviation, I have to make a decision. All right, do I wait and see if we regress to the mean and we come back down to normal and maybe even dip down under the 20 day moving average, or do I smash buy because we're I think we're going to go on a big run and I don't want to miss it, um, which is I mean, you know, I, when you buy Bitcoin enough, it's no big deal to buy Bitcoin. Or, or you can say, look, I got, I got X amount of dollars that I want to put in. I'm going to put half of it in right now just in case we are on the big run. And then if we dip back down, then I'll, I'll put the other half in and, and I'll end up somewhere near the average of the 20-day of the moving average. And, you know, so it just gives you a little bit of an idea of like, hey, what, I'm making a decision here. What what what's some more information I can get to, to make that decision? Well, and, and just to be clear, it will come back and touch the bottom end of that Bollinger Band at some point, right? <laughs> There's, yes, it's but you guaranteed ten thousand dollars higher than yeah, you were today. Yeah, it is guaranteed to do that. The question is just where is that new average at that point, right? Yes. So, yes. Um, no, that's good. Um, so, from my end, one of the other things that I look at too is the Fibonacci sequence. Um, and since that is one of the most natural numbers in nature, um, it became really interesting to me. And there are a couple of ways to look at it. One is the Fibonacci retracements. And then the other is the Fibonacci extensions. And I know just enough to be dangerous in that. Um, but it's to me, uh, Bitcoin follows the Fibonacci retracements quite often um, on a lot of different timeframes. So they... Um, for me, it's always helpful to go look and see, all right, how far is it retraced? Is it at a spot where it's typically going to bounce? Um, or has it just passed a line that typically it keeps going farther down um, before it bounces? So 
um, that and then Fibonacci extensions. Theoretically, you're going to give you kind of where that price is going to head to before it meets support or meets resistance. And we didn't really talk about support and resistance, but maybe that's a, a quick thing to talk about real quick yeah. um, because support and resistance is, is such a big piece in, in all of um, all of this discussions, right? So typically what happens is uh, as before Bitcoin, they they maxed out at what, 20K a few years ago. So that became kind of that new line of resistance after it came back down to three and a half K. When it got back up to 20, it, it, it took forever to get through it. Once it got through 20, it kind of skyrocketed and never really came back. And so now that 20K is more of a support line. And so what you'll see over time is there are places where Bitcoin and others will stay around for quite a lot of time. Um, sometimes if it keeps bouncing up and coming back down, that's resistance. But as soon as it breaks through and comes back and bounces and back, bounces back up, it's now support. Um, so it, it is um, pretty interesting to look back at the history of Bitcoin, especially and see where they have had historical levels of support and resistance. Um, now, we're starting to see more of that now with being, it being in 30K for so long. Uh, once it goes above 60K, I mean, there's no support or resistance, right? It can go as high as it wants. And at some point, it'll stop and hang around for a little while, right? But some new levels will be uh, created. But I mean, yeah, th those are good things to put on your chart to be able to reference in the future. Uh, here's a place that Bitcoin had a really strong time overcoming or really wouldn't go under because um, it probably will come back in the future at some point and be important. Yeah. So in my mind, like to keep things simple, I just view like the price is in like a treehouse. Your support is the floor of this treehouse. If you break through the floor, you don't know how far you're going to drop before you hit the ground. Your resistance is the ceiling. If you can bust through the ceiling, you you're in open space. Like it's called price discovery. Who knows what the price is? Who knows what people are willing to pay for an asset when it's above a price that's never seen before, right? So um, if, if this is the whole Bitcoin theory of having a scarce asset, if everybody's piling into it, it doesn't matter what the price is because if you don't own any, you're short, right? And so everybody that doesn't own Bitcoin is being short squeezed every time there's price resistance, whether they know it or not, right? So there's a psychological impact there of getting through that resistance, going through the ceiling and, and being in open space and nobody knows how high it's going. Um, and so I always, I feel like I've got my price targets for Bitcoin that's way higher. I kind of know what people are willing to pay, which is in the $60,000 range. And I know what people are not really willing to sell it at, which is, in the $20,000 and below range. So yeah, you, you can use these things on chain, technical analysis, all this to kind of, kind of get yourself an idea of, of what prices are attractive and what aren't. Um, and yeah, understanding that price, there's a psychological impact that shows up on the chart and that psychological impact is support and resistance. Um, and a lot of it has to do with people's either their conviction or the price they bought at. Um, and so the last piece I have is the RSI, which is the relative strength indicator. Um, essentially, it's just uh, um, an indicator of when you're overbought or oversold. Um, and I, it's derived from, uh, from the momentum of the price. So as the price is racing up, then, it's, then your RSI, you know, it's a zero to 100 scale. So you're going to be up in numbers, you know, in the 60, 70,000 is, or 70 is kind of the, uh, the point where most people think, oh, we're, you know, we're getting into, to, uh, an overbought situation where, you know, this price is kind of red hot. Like we can't, we can't live up here. Um, and then on the, on the opposite side, on the downside of price, uh, 30 is pretty much where it's like, okay, we're oversold, um, you know, we're probably going to make a swing here soon and come back up in price. Uh, and so that's really just from the data. Bitcoin has a fear and greed index that you can track. And it's actually pretty interesting. And they ha so they take RSI as one component, but they also have sentiment from like social media and news and things like that. And I don't know how they quantify that, 
but it kind of follows the RSI. And so, you know, the, the thing is, it's like, you know, be uh, greedy when people are fearful and be fearful when people are greedy. So if you just counter trade the, the fear and greed index, when everybody's afraid and the fear index is down in the 20s, you should consider buying if you are a long-term Bitcoin or crypto holder. And then on the flip side, when it's, when the greed index is high, uh, you know, if you're, if you do sell Bitcoin, that may be a, a signal that you should consider. Um, and so that's kind of the fear and greed index is actually pretty fun to watch because it's like, it involves the RSI and some of the, just the, the feel of the market, which is, is pretty interesting. It's funny you brought that up because I had it on a note to bring it up and I was like, I'm not sure if it's really going to be considered technical analysis because <laughs> <Yeah>. it has <laughs> so much emotion and, and sentiment into, into it. But it is something that especially um, lately has, has hit home very, very easily, right? I mean, it, it's very true. The other thing about RSI, uh, it, when you look at it from a, a longer time frame, especially on like monthly and things like that, it has been very accurate. So when you get into the... 90 plus percent RSIs, those are usually some of the tops, right? So yeah. if you look at it for a much higher time frame, it's going to be a lot more accurate than some of the smaller time frames where they can just keep staying in the 90s for hours and hours and hours and, and keep going up. Um, but the last one that I had on my end, and I'm going to mispronounce this really bad, but the Ichimoku cloud um, is a really interesting indicator that I've found. And once again, I know very little about it but what it does do is it almost forecasts what it expects um bitcoin or any other coin to do based on um, a couple of different factors so it's it's showing you what, what whether it thinks it's going to be going up or down um, and they have this cloud that's either green or red typically that um if it's green it's very positive if it's red it's negative and usually it'll come down in the cloud and if it'll usually either bounce back up from the cloud which is a good thing, or if it goes through, then that's usually a bad thing, and you can expect a kind of a, a big drop. So, um, like I said, it's it's you want to have, and like you said too, three plus indicators all saying the same thing. And of course, when they do, it's usually the opposite because Bitcoin always does what you least expect it to do. <laughs> um, but if you're trying to play statistics, it's find things that all say something very similar, and that's when you place a bet and. Uh, for at least for both of us, for the most part, it's we're only betting when it's going up. <laughs> and long term, <laughs> hopefully we're going to be right, right? But uh, there's not a lot of shorting on our end. Uh, no, uh, that my thing. I, I have a note here that's like, if you're like, okay, I've I've been looking at these, I've been watching it, I've been right, you know, confirmation bias. You forget the when you're when you're fake trading, you forget the ones you're wrong on, and you remember the ones you're right, and it, it makes you want to trade actual money. Um, but if you're, if you sell Bitcoin, you're exposed to the upside. If Bitcoin runs while you're out on the sidelines, it's real tough to get in while it's running up, uh, because you sold thinking it was going to go down and you have to convince yourself you're wrong. And then you have to get in above the price that you sold at thinking it's going to run. I mean, it's a real difficult thing to do. It's my opinion that you have more opportunity for Bitcoin price to go up than you do to have it go down. So I would say if you're going to trade, you should trade with, with a bias towards accumulation because you can lose 50%. Like maybe, maybe something weird happens and we go, we drop 50%, but your gains can be 500, a thousand percent. Right. So if you're, you you got to think long term. I think that the longer you're in Bitcoin, the longer term you think. And so just consider that, like, if you're wrong on an upside and, and Bitcoin goes up, you could be really, really wrong. And if you're right and you sell and it drops down, congratulations. But I mean, what, if you make 10 or 20 percent and then buy back in. OK, great. But the, and it goes on a run. Well, you're up, you know, a little bit more than you would have been. So it just. I don't know how I don't know how people trade Bitcoin because like if it goes on a run and you miss it, there's no way to trade your way back into uh, a better a, having your portfolio be better than it would be if you just sat on it and rode this wave from ten thousand to to forty thousand. I mean that's it's it'd be really tough to chop to to trade the chop enough 
to get those sort of games. And you got to pay taxes every time. Well, it's just even the buys that, that I've done in the past, it's hard for me not to just buy a market order at this point because if I set other market or limit orders below where it currently is and it never goes out and touches that, then that's just super frustrating, right? So you, you kind of missed out on it. So it's like, all right, I'd rather buy it at 42 and never go down to 38 and it go up to 60, right? So it's... Oh, yeah. There's so much a, emotion. I have, a, I have an open uh, limit order at 37.5 right now that <laughs> I put in when it was 38. And I'm like, why would I do that? <laughs> because I've, I looked at some stuff, man. I li- used the technical analysis and I'm like, man, it's a really good buy at 37.5. So, and now it's like it has 0% filled that, that buy. And I'm like, that's uh, that's not great because you know everything look like I said earlier. All the signals look pretty good right now, like that I'm that I follow, and yeah, I mean we're fifteen uh, percent above where I didn't buy because I was trying to squeeze out an extra point two percent. So so stupid. Like I, I don't even I don't even follow my own like guidance on some of the stuff. Now I, I mean I I bought more. I mean like, but. I like that was the one order that I just I put in. I'm like, man, if that hits, that'd be great. I'm like, man, that was stupid. <laughs> yeah. So I've done a lot of altcoin trading and and I definitely put orders in below. And the majority of the time they do come da- back down and hit, right? But it's you almost have to just set the order and walk away and not look at it. And it's it's yeah. so hard to do. But um, yeah. I, one of the other things that I think we should talk about too is how people could look at these charts, right? I mean, I, I, I know there's a lot of places online to go look at stocks. Um, but crypto is a little different because there's so many different exchanges out there and they aren't all exactly the same. So um, it's going to vary depending on the exchange, what the price is, and that has a lot to do with the supply and demand on that exchange. Um, So I I think for us, and and maybe I'll speak first and then you can can correct me if you you do something differently, how TradingView is probably one of the best places to look at charts. The reason being is you can actually pull up the chart at every exchange. So if you're only using Coinbase or you're only using uh, Kraken or, or any of the other ones, you can pull up that exact um, exchange. And the benefit that I have found, I mean, there is a free version that you can have, but if you really want to get to the point where um, you're getting notified, uh, you could set alerts, right? And it costs a little bit more. I mean, you're paying 12 or 13 bucks a month at that point to get alerts. Um, and to have a few other benefits of adding more indicators on your charts, which I like more indicators. How it doesn't sound like you like nearly as many indicators as I do, um, but more data is better. And I know that's probably actually the opposite of what's true, but <laughs> being the engineer analytical person that I am, I want to see more data. So that's been helpful mentally for me, although I don't know if it's always helpful financially. <laughs> yeah, I use TradingView. I used to use, uh, it used to be Blockfolio. And now it's FTX bought it. Um, but I used it because you can input all of your trades into Blockfolio and it'll track your total crypto portfolio in real time across the exchanges that it is correct across all your crypto. And it's like, I'm, you know, for me, it was when I, was, I wasn't nearly as Bitcoin heavy as I am now. So it was, you know, things swung differently. <clears throat> um, now I just, I just buy Bitcoin. But so I use TradingView. And I like it. I use the free version because I don't need to look at a lot. Like I need to look at Bitcoin. I need to look at oil. I like I watch gold and um, that's about it. But on my free version on my phone, I can set it so that it gives me a candlestick chart. It gives me uh, the Bollinger Bands and it gives me my uh, 50 and 200 day moving averages. And I can toggle those on and off. Like there's a little eye icon, you click it and then it puts a slash through it and it it just hides that, those signals. So you can load up, I think on the free version, you can load up four or five of those different uh, indicators and you can toggle them on and off. So it's pretty, it's, uh, it's hard to say it's user-friendly. Once you learn how to use it, it's really, really good. It took me a while to learn how to use it, especially scaling, uh, scaling the the time and the price like i'm if you you know whether you use two fingers to zoom and things like that it takes a while to kind of it's not super intuitive for me to kind of look back because whenever i get worried man i just look i just scroll out look like the last four years i'm like okay we're good um 
And so I do that a lot. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I have that. And then I simultaneously, I have volume and RSI like on separate in, um, axes at the bottom. So, I mean, for a free piece of software that gives me volume RSI and, and two or three, four indicators that I like in a way that's eventually easy to use once you use it enough. Um, I think it's great. You can just take a snapshot of it and send it. You can put a ruler on it and draw lines if you want. Um, so, you know, you can, you can do quite a bit and it's, and it's on your phone uh, and it's pretty user-friendly. Um, so that's, that's, I, I would just say, yeah, if, if you're kind of getting into it and you're looking at charts and you're kind of, you're using Coinbase and Coinbase's charts. I don't like how Coinbase does it at all, uh, especially mm -hmm. on the mobile app. Um, so I think, I think you got to get away from that pretty quick. If you're, if you're actually looking at buy times and, and signals and things like that. So I think TradingView should definitely be where you start. And if you hate it, then, you know, kind of Google around and find what you want. There's definitely some other options out there, but when you start looking at them, what you find is that all the information on their charts come from TradingView anyways. So they're pulling the right. data from there and they might just be adding some sort of user interface that may be a little bit easier. I mean, the good news is it does sync between your phone and your computer. So if you do something on one, it'll show up on the other, which is really nice too. Uh, since it's a lot easier to chart on a computer in my mind than it is a phone, but it's a lot easier to access your phone throughout the day than it is your computer. Um, so su super yep. helpful and, and lots of options there on what you can do. Yeah. And then we, we did a podcast on technical analysis and we didn't use the words uh, bull flag, bear flag, ascending wedge, descending wedge, <laughs> head and shoulders, inverse head and shoulders. So like for the people that are into TA, they're listening to this, like we're not oblivious to it. I just don't use it because I like, I feel like it's useful if you're trading short term stuff because it's like, oh, okay, we're, you know, there's a 55% chance we're to the upside because of this or that man, look at the, look at the neck on this head and shoulders or whatever. Uh, you know, if you, if you want to get into that stuff, it's, it's pretty easy to see those things. Um, it, you know, but it's kind of easy to, to screw yourself. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, um, a lot of and and be aware of people that are like doing YouTube videos with technical analysis. I think it's super sketchy because I feel like they'll oh hey look look at this signal look at this buy signal for Bitcoin look at this head and shoulders you know on a, on the four hour da 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 and then a few weeks later like they take it down because the trade because the the price went the other way. So the YouTube videos they have look like they're correct on all of them, but they aren't. So it sucks for somebody who's new to getting into Bitcoin. You're like, oh man, I'm going to follow this guy. Yeah. He yells a lot and he's kind of weird or whatever, but man, he's right all the time. He's not, he just deletes the ones when he's wrong. So like, just, you know, it's like buyer beware on, on who you follow and who you, who you're using on, um, on these sorts of things, because there's some guys out there that are just, I mean, they're making a ton of money off of ad revenue from YouTube or, and you know, everything else. So, uh, and they, and, they're only going to tell you about the good trades. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the majority of people are like that for sure. I mean, there are good people out there. So not, I don't want everybody to think that there's not good people out there. I know um, Crown, which is one of the guys that Elio Trades pulls onto his um, stream or whatever all, all the time. He is very technical and does a good job at explaining a lot of this stuff. I think for most people, what they need to be doing, though, is just learning from this for a while, right? If you want to get into, into it, you're going to have to spend a lot of time on your own education. Um, I mean, there are guys out there like uh, Benjamin Cohen that he is kind of a data scientist that has turned crypto and data scientists merged together. And he has a lot of interesting insights from a TA perspective, but he says, hey, none of this matters either, right? So <laughs> th this, this is good for you to know, but it's, it's just, for some of us, they want more data, and usually it means that it's going to be harder to make a decision sometimes with the more data you have. So um, helpful to have, but you, you're going to be the one making the decision, and you don't want to outsource that to somebody else that it doesn't affect them one way or the other on which direction you go. Yeah, I agree. So cool. So I think this kind of wraps things up from a technical analysis perspective. Um, anything else that you wanted to leave them with? No, I mean, you know, I'm always, I'm always fearful that like people convince themselves they want to get in Bitcoin and they get drawn into trading, right? When they haven't traded stocks, they haven't traded, you know, 
anything, right? They're not even buying and selling stuff on eBay. Like they're just not, they're not buy low, sell high types. They're just, you know, you go to a job, you make your money and you have some money left over. So you want to put it in something and eventually you try to put it into Bitcoin and then you get Bitcoin just kind of, or crypto, I would say, tends to try to suck people into trading. And I think that that is bad for almost everybody. Um, so, you know, just figure out how you want to use this stuff. You're, if you're just getting into crypto, you're way behind the people that have been trading crypto for a decade. So don't just like, oh man, I'm going to throw, I, I got this much money. I'm going to throw it all in. I'm going to trade. I'm going to do this. There's a real good chance you're in trouble. And if you're leveraged, it's an even better chance that you're in trouble. So like, just be, it's tough because the, the psychological thing says crypto's red hot. Everybody's jumping into it. I need to be in all in and I need to be taking risk because I missed the Bitcoin. I missed the ramp up from 5,000 to 10,000 and 10,000 to 40,000. I've got to, I got to go into these altcoins. This one's got a small market cap. It can double and I can, you can play catch up on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is still early in Bitcoin. You just accumulate Bitcoin. If you, if you're, if you're into Bitcoin, just, you know, don't, don't try to trade your way up into kind of buying, buying your time backwards when the Bitcoin's price was lower. Don't try to multiply your stack and then buy Bitcoin. It's super hard. Um, so that's, uh, that's one thing that I would talk about is like, yeah, we're, we're kind of talking about this as a, from a trading standpoint or technical analysis. I don't recommend trading at all. Like it's, I've, uh, it's, uh, it just never seems to work for me, I, I, but some people might just freaking love it, man. And, and get all over it, but I'm, I can't do it. Yeah. I, just to add to that. I mean, I think one of the things that people do want to trade, do a paper trade for a while and keep yeah. a journal of all your trades to see whether you won In or ink. lost. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's easy to only remember the good stuff, but there's nobody out there today that is only making winning trades. Um, and especially if you're leveraged, when one goes the wrong way, that's usually a very bad way to go. And the other thing about crypto and blockchain is everything's out there for everybody to see, right? So um, the, the whales out there that can say, okay, I'm seeing a bunch of people shorting or, or longing this, they can move the market and, uh, or these exchanges can move the market too and take all those premiums very quickly. And what you've seen a lot of times, if you, we talked about uh, Glassnode and, and things like that last week. Um, you can find all this open interest uh, of people leveraging long stocks. And when that gets to a very high level, that's when you start to see these huge drops or gains when the shorts are being taken out or the longs are being taken out um, because it's just, it's multiplying and cascading one after another. Right. So um, yeah, leverage is probably what you want to stay away from. And uh, this is almost more using, from our perspective, using technical analysis to find good entry points, uh, which there will probably be a lot of good entry points for the next many, many years to come <laughs> if yeah. Bitcoin keeps doing the way we, we think it's going to go. Yeah, and, and it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. Every time I talk to somebody new that isn't into Bitcoin, or even if they just recently got in, they're always like, man, in 2012, I heard about Bitcoin. I didn't get in. One guy was like, I had a chance to buy Bitcoin in 2006 and I didn't do it. And I'm like, okay, buddy, <laughs> like 2006. All right. You, you are really early into Bitcoin. So, but everybody feels like they're late. And so they just get pushed out the risk curve and get riskier and riskier. And, you know, for, for most people, Bitcoin's pretty heavy risk as it is. And I'm, I always tell people like, Hey, if you would have bought Bitcoin in 2012, the first time you heard about it, you probably would have lost it or sold it by now. And you probably would have doubled your money and felt great on your 500 bucks. You wouldn't still have it. Like almost definitely not. And then if it's before Coinbase started, you wouldn't have bought it at all. Right. It was just too hard. If you're not, if you're not into it deep, you weren't going to buy it. So I think Coinbase started in 2012 or 2013. So anything prior to that, I'm like, yeah, you heard about it, but you didn't, you, you, I know you, you're not, you weren't going to buy it. You're, you're not going to go through the trouble of, of doing all that or mining Bitcoin. So, you know, I bought in in 2017 and at the time I felt like I was late to the game and, uh, you know, people bought in 20, I talked to a guy this week that bought in 2018. He felt like he's late. Everybody feels like they're late, man. And you just wait five years and you're early and it's great. So like, you know, don't, don't let yourself get pushed into more risk than, than you want to take. 
because because you think you're late. You're not late. Well, and I think I think both of us back in 2017 were scared to death to buy Bitcoin. Right? I mean, this was a, a scary thing to get into, and it, and it I don't know if that's wild, really yeah. changed that much. I mean, for most people that are just getting in, they are still scared to death of what Bitcoin really is and how to get in and out, and there's just yep. so much to that. So that, um, yeah, that's no, why I tell people to just from buy end. some. Yeah, I tell yep. people just to buy some. Open up the channel. Open like figure out how to do it. So if things do go and you you start to get more and more convinced to buy Bitcoin, you don't just pile up this this desire to buy Bitcoin. You're actually buying Bitcoin because you can just click a button. Your your checking account's linked to your Coinbase account or Coinbase Pro or whatever strike. And oh, okay, yeah, I just want to buy a little, buy a little, buy a little. Next thing you know, man, you turn around and it's a lot. Yeah, we'll, and we'll put a link for strike in here. I mean, you get ten dollars for free right now. I think, right? Just go get your ten dollars for free. Go put it in Bitcoin and watch it. And it doesn't cost free you anything. Trade. Now you got Bitcoin to look at and see what happens. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, as always, thanks for joining Hal, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group, Unblocking Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.